If you would, please take your Bibles and turn with me to Isaiah chapter 37, Isaiah 37. This afternoon, in just a few minutes we have left, I'd like to share with you a sign that was given to Hezekiah, and then we're going to turn to one of the Psalms that's known as one of the Psalms of Degrees, which many believe Hezekiah compiled, and some of them may have even written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And it's fascinating to see at how the sign that Isaiah gave to Hezekiah is paralleled in with one of those songs. And it's really interesting in its historical context. And so, if you look with me, Isaiah chapter 37, in verse 21, it tells us, Then Isaiah, the son of Amos, sent unto Hezekiah. Well, this is in response to Hezekiah, trapped up as a bird in a cage in Jerusalem with the Assyrian commander Sennacherib outside. Food is scarce. There's a famine. There's trouble. They're trapped. Not only is food scarce inside the city, but outside the city, the wells have been stopped up. The springs have been stopped up. The food has been ransacked by the Assyrians. Food is scarce. Sennacherib and his army have surrounded the city, and Sennacherib himself has written a letter to Hezekiah defying Jehovah. And it's one after many letters. And you remember Hezekiah, we learned about this a few weeks ago, took that letter before the Lord. And he basically asked the Lord to defend himself and his name and his city. And in Isaiah chapter 37... For beginning in verse 21, is the Lord's response to Hezekiah regarding Sennacherib. Now, you remember the account. What happens is that Sennacherib is basically fought against by the Lord, and over 120,000 are killed in one night, and Sennacherib flees back to his hometown of Nineveh, totally defeated. And there he ends up boasting of his victories over Lachish, which is not the capital of Judea, but he acts like it's the capital of Judea. And he ends up dying. That was in fulfillment of this message that Isaiah had given to Hezekiah. He said it would happen. In fact, if you look here in verse 33, it says, Therefore, thus saith the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, he shall not come into the city, nor shoot an arrow there, nor come before it with shields, nor cast a bank against it. Because here he is, he's about to do that. He's already done that to Lachish and destroyed it. By the way that he came, by the same shall he return, and shall not come into this city, saith the Lord, for I will defend this city to save it for mine own sake and for my servant David's sake. And then the record records that the angel of the Lord went forth and smote the camp of the Assyrians. We covered this account a few weeks ago, didn't we? But we kind of skipped over a sign in it. And I'd like to look at this sign because it, it gives us a little glimpse into how God works with his people. Right here, we saw what happens with the king of Assyria. But back up just a few verses to verse 30. In verse 30, Isaiah says to Hezekiah, by the word of the Lord, and this shall be a sign unto thee. Ye shall eat this year such as groweth of itself. 
and the second year that which springeth of the same, and in the third year sow ye and reap and plant vineyards and eat the fruit thereof. And the remnant that is escaped of the house of Judah shall again take root downward and bear fruit upward. The sign is, in the midst of all of the wells being stopped up, all of the food being ransacked throughout all of Judah. Remember, the king of Assyria has ransacked 42 cities of Judah. It's, 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 it's desert. It's desolate. But God says to the people, you're going to eat food what this year such as groweth of itself. Now, I don't know about how many of you have tried to plant gardens and grow vegetables, but when you leave your garden alone and you let it just grow what it will grow, it doesn't give very much, does it? God is basically saying here, you're going to do nothing and I'm going to feed you. And this is a sign that all that I've promised here and given you will come to pass. And next year, the same thing's going to happen. You're not going to go out and till in the fields and plant your seed because it, again, is going to come up of itself. So you're going to eat this year from that which just grows after being desecrated and, and destroyed by the enemy. And the same thing is going to happen next year. And then the third year, you will sow and you will reap and you will bring in the abundance of the harvest. God says this is a sign, which is actually, if you begin to understand the agriculture of it, really exciting. In fact, unbelievable. It really is. We, we just, we, I mean, we just go to the grocery store. I mean, we have no idea how big of a deal this is. This is a huge, huge deal to these people who were in the midst of a siege. We know by comparing scriptures in other places that the condition in Jerusalem was overwhelming with refugees and the famine was terrible in the city, even though Sennacherib had just barely arrived at the gates. It was not a good situation, and God makes this promise. Imagine how incredible this would have been to your ears if you were one of those refugees or one of those people living in Jerusalem to hear the sign. But imagine how how difficult it would have been to believe. That's why God gave it as a sign for even bigger things he was going to do. And don't miss how he then talks about the remnant that shall escape. He's basically now saying that even though with all of this that has happened, there has already been enormous number of captives being carried away. We have it in archaeology record as well as biblical record of the hooks they put in their noses and drag the captives away. God says they're going to come back and they're going to be like those plants, and they're going, to, they're, going to, they're going to be rooted, and they're going to bring forth fruit. Using, again, this agricultural. And he says this is a sign. This is in the life of Hezekiah. Now, I told you that of the songs of degrees that many believe Hezekiah compiled and even wrote some of them, there is one of them that is very significant in parallel to the situation in Jerusalem with Sennacherib. Turn with me to Psalm 126. Psalm 126. Now, 
as you begin to read this psalm with me, go back in time with me to the people in Jerusalem and the situation with Sennacherib, okay? Imagine you're one of them as you read this psalm. Psalm 126. When the Lord turned again the captivity of Zion, we were like them that dream. Then was our mouth filled with laughter and our tongue with singing. Then said they among the heathen, The Lord hath done great things for them. The Lord hath done great things for us, whereof we are glad. Turn again our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth and weeping, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. This is amazing in the historical context that we find it with Hezekiah. Notice in the first verse, when the Lord turned again the captivity of Zion. <laughs> that was pretty spectacular in how he did that with Sennacherib. It was also pretty spectacular in how he did it with some of the refugees and also some of the captives that had been carried away as they were turned again. Now, this song has significance, I believe, to Hezekiah, but there's also another yet prophecy to this that comes in the other disbursements of Israel and their regathering under Ezra, and yet even also of gathering of the people yet described in prophecy as yet future of the Jewish people. But here in the context of Hezekiah, this happened. Do you see the response? We were like them that dream. Amazed. Kind of like, wait a minute, what was that? What just happened? All that was Nacrib happened in the night. And, and look at the response. Then was our mouth filled with laughter and our tongue was singing. There's rejoicing. There's rejoicing over the Lord's deliverance. Look what is said among the heathen. The Lord had done great things for them. If you go back and look at 2 Kings as well as Isaiah, it tells us that the fame of Hezekiah and of his God went forth to all nations, and all nations were bringing gifts to Jerusalem. That's exactly what was going on. In fact, it was already somewhat going on even before Sennacherib. You remember when the emissaries of Babylon came to Hezekiah to see the wonder done in the land? They too came. You remember Hezekiah failed to render again what he had received, and that's a whole other account we don't have time to go into, but the fame of the Lord is spread. The Lord has done great things among them, and the song brings it personal. The Lord hath done great things for us. Now, I don't know who you are or where you are, but when you read this and you can think about Sennacherib, you can think about what happened with Hezekiah, you can say, wow, the Lord did great things for them. But do you also say the Lord has done great things for me? Because he has. He has so that your mouth can be filled with laughter and your tongue with singing. 
just as some of the songs that we say earlier today. Those are great things God's done for us. Those songs are about what's described here. Wherefore are we glad? Let's go forth day by day glad. There's a prayer here in verse 4. Turn again our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south. Well, there was a captivity. The people had been slurped out of the land, many of them. They'd been taken away as captives. And the prayer here is that they be returned. Does that sound familiar to the sign of Isaiah? That the captivity would return and they would be rooted and grounded? Well, as it says, as the streams in the desert is really intriguing. We don't have these here. We don't have any wadis. How many of you know what a wadi is? Okay, a few of you. A wadi, we don't have them here. Um, we don't have dry riverbeds. We don't have, for the most part, even dry creeks. Yeah, they do exist, but they're not real significant. But in, in the south of Israel, which is a desert area land, there are wadis, and what they are is they're riverbeds, but there's no water in them. There's no water in them. Um, when Evelyn and I went to Israel back in 2017, we went in the fall, which is here at the end of the season, before the rainy season. And as we traveled through the southern region of Israel, from, from actually from the Red Sea all the way up through Beersheba and, and on up to Jerusalem and Tel Aviv, in that we did a one-day travel, and all over we would see these things that looked like rivers, but they were just dusty basins, trenches that would flow. I haven't gotten to see it personally, but I've seen little video clips and pictures that those wadis in the rainy season all of a sudden and abruptly and quickly swell with water and begin to flow. And very quickly in this whole region, it turns green and comes alive. And what's being called upon of the Lord is that the captivity would return just like those wadi, the water returns to the the water returns to the wadi and it swells and becomes an overbursting river. The prayer is that that would be the case with the captivity. And then verses 5 and 6. Verses 5 and 6 are famous verses as it relates to many people in the idea of going forth and sowing the word of God and the gospel and of how oftentimes it is a labor that is difficult and hard. And it's about doing it in spite of the tears, to sow the Word of God. And it is an appropriate application of this song. But if you look at this song in its historical context, especially comparing it to the situation of Hezekiah and the people of Judah and the promises of Isaiah, the sign was that you'll eat this year of that which groweth of itself, and next year you'll do the same, and the third year you will sow and reap. Now listen, if this year you eat of all that grows of itself, that means you don't have much left over to sow or to plant for next year. That would have been the case. They would have barely had enough to just survive. They definitely wouldn't have had enough to sow seed. So that first year, they're all set. Whatever they can get, they eat, because they're guaranteed the next year to have the same again, right? That's the sign. And so that first year, they eat it all up. And the second year, they can't eat it all up. They have to save some, because then 
they're going to need to sow to eat the third year. So we, again, we are so disconnected from agriculture, we don't even know how it works. You know, you get all your corn and your grain in, and you have to save some as seed, because it's actually seeds, not just food. Well, now imagine that that second year has come. Again, there's not a bumper crop. It's just what's come up of itself. I don't know about you, but I have a little garden, and when we just let it go, oh, we had what? Maybe enough tomatoes to snack on for mm, two or three snacks for each of us. That was it that grew of itself. I don't even think it was that much. I think it was mostly my kaya ate them all of the tomatoes that grew of themselves. There's not much. It's really pitiful what comes up of itself. So now imagine that you're Hezekiah and you're standing up at the end of the harvest of that second year of that which grew of itself and you're saying, believe God. God said to sow this year. Believe him. And you're probably there standing hungry. Hezekiah, we barely have enough to eat. And now you're wanting us to save this to sow? And keep in mind, you begin to sow as you're starting to run out of your supply, right? And so here you're looking at your supply and you're like, well, it's got to have so many months to be planted and to grow and, 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 and I don't have enough to make it there. But it's time to sow. Two years you've not had to sow. God's provided. Maybe just barely. It's time to go sow. Do you see the sowing in tears? This is, this is going for sowing. Yes, it's hard work to labor and to plant. But this is more than just hard work. I mean, you're taking your food and you're putting it in the dirt with no guarantee that it's going to grow. Or is there? <laughs> God said so. That's where Hezekiah and his people had something special. I don't have that. <laughs> we don't have that guarantee. And, and just imagine, you throw the seed into the ground so that it can die. Know that parallel how Jesus talked about a seed dying. Useless to you. And you have no guarantee that it's going to come back, except for God said it would in this particular case. I wonder how many people went forth that third year sowing in tears, going forth weeping, bearing precious seed. It's just my food for the next few months and even for next year. What does it say would happen for these people in this song? They shall reap in joy. They shall doubtless. Did you see that word doubtless? Just so you know, that is that to a farmer, you wouldn't use that word. I mean, I've actually planted some seeds sometimes in the past, and nothing grew. I'm no expert. I'm no green thumb. So no surprise, right? But I've talked to some farmers who have planted fields, and it's just like pitiful what comes. Doubtless? Most farmers wouldn't be doubtless. Now, maybe some seed manufacturers might be acting like they're doubtless. But here it says, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. 
So if you take this back into its historical context, you have a sign given by Isaiah to the people. You'll eat of that which groweth of itself this year and next year, and then you'll plant seed. Fast forward now here. Hezekiah, the guy who's attributed as compiling these songs of degrees, this one here. I wonder if as they were going forth that third year, this was the song they sang and actually sang it with tears and aching dummies maybe even, hungry dummies. But you know what? They could be doubtless. In this case, because God gave them a guarantee. So what's all this have to do with us? Well, we look at this, and again, we say the Lord hath done great things for them. Can you take a few moments and think about the great things that God has done for you? In those times when you did go forth, not knowing, doing what was right, sowing the seed of the gospel, not knowing whether there would be a harvest. I think sometimes of the moms in the middle of the night taking care of the kids, you just want to go, oh, I'm so tired. Virgil wants to know about the dads. He's back there motioning. All of us have times in which we don't know, or we are not doubtless, but we are doubting. What's the point of all this that we're doing? And sometimes that's a good question to ask because some of the things we're doing is not worth doing. We need to be evaluating our priorities. But as we are going forth, doing what God wants us to be doing and sowing in whatever way, Let's remember that just as God did great things for them, God will do great things for us. And it may not even be in this life. It may be in that which is to come. Let's keep our eyes on Jesus. Gracious God, we thank you that you are great. We thank you that you have done great things. And Lord, as we continue in life, sowing seed, both of your word, investment in others. May we be faithful to make this a priority. And Lord, may we know that doubtless your word will not return void, and that which is done by your spirit and in your power will, when tried, come forth as gold and precious jewels. May we keep that as our focus day by day, knowing that you're the one who gives the increase, knowing that you are the one who does the great things, knowing that in you alone we must trust, knowing that there is joy to come, even though now there may be tears. May we be faithful. May we believe and trust you no matter what. In your name we pray. Amen.